Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of the Seeking Truth podcast. Today's episode we're going to be diving into scripture. We're going to be diving into Psalm 78. This is a big psalm and there's lots of good things in here Um, and it's not one that I really hear talked about a lot. The Lord's been bringing it to my attention repetitively over the past month. I don't know why. Every time I open my Bible, always opens to the same psalm, always reading the same passages over and over again. Um, And so I'm trying to collate for you guys today some of my um, takeaways from this, this passage. And I hope that they help you and I hope that they encourage you and they're things that you can take away from this and apply to your life. So it's a big psalm, like I said. The context of this psalm is that it's written about the time where the Israelites came out of Egypt and they were walking through the desert. So it's kind of a reflection on that period of time in the Israelites' history. So the Israelites, you know, they got brought out of Egypt. They were in the desert. Uh, God was taking them to the promised land. And the Israelites had this uh, 40-year period of time where they really struggled with a lot of doubt with God. They really struggled with believing that God was going to fulfill the promises that he um, had spoken over them and that that he was going to take them to this promised land that he spoke of. And it was a period of time where the Israelites really struggled with their faith. And I think that's really applicable to a lot of us. A lot of us can feel that we're in this desert period where we've been brought out of the old season, the old place we were in, and, and we've been promised this new land that's supposed to be, you know, flowing with milk and honey, and it's going to be the promised land and everything will be perfect. And we're in this awkward period of time between the then and the future. And we really start to question and doubt, mm, did God actually promise these things to me? You know, why I feel like I'm in a worse off position than I was before, you know, what is happening? So that's the context of the story and the psalm that we're reading today. We read from verse nine, the men of Ephraim, although armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. He did miracles in the sight of their ancestors, in the land of Egypt, in the region of Zoan. He divided the sea and he led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. He guided them with the cloud by day and with, li- and with light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the wilderness. He gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. That's the first part of this psalm. It's talking about, you know, all of the things that God has done for these people. And verse 11 really sticks out to me. They forgot what he had done, the wonders that he had shown them. I feel like that's something that we can all really relate to, forgetting the things that God has done for us in the past because we're so, our eyes are so focused on what is right in front of us in that moment. So we keep reading. He divided the sea and he led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. He guided them with the cloud by day and with light from the fire all night. Now there, that's a cross-reference to um, Numbers 9. It is talking about how when he led them out of Egypt, he had a, a holy cloud leading them. So I'm going to read from Numbers 9 to uh, understand what was happening here. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. 
That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and would not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. I love this vision that there's this this cloud that's guiding the Israelites, that's telling them not only where to go, but how long to stay in this place before we move on. And they were just so obedient to that. They didn't question whether it was two days, a month, or a year that they stayed in this place before the cloud moved again. They just trusted that, you know, this this cloud is going to be leading us and guiding us. And when you look at the symbolism of cloud and fire, you know, the Holy Spirit is described as fire a lot through the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. Um, but cloud, when you think of the, the word for Holy Spirit, it means breath and a cloud is a symbol of, of breath, of condensation that is, you know, uh, manifesting above the place where God's presence is. And so it is a, a twofold reminder that God's Holy Spirit and God's presence was with them and above them at all times and was guiding them to where they should go. I wonder if we think about our lives, taking this away and trying to apply it, are we letting God lead us? Are we, if he's got a cloud and a fire, which is his Holy Spirit and his presence, and that Holy Spirit and presence guides us and leads us to where we need to go, are we allowing that to happen in our lives? And not only that, are we trusting the timing that we have to stay in each place for before we move on? Like, I'm sure that the Israelites had no understanding of why God wanted them to stay in particular places longer than others. Um, You know, they were in a desert. Everything looks the same. There's no landmarks. There's no features to distinguish why God wanted them to stay in a particular place longer than another place. But we can clearly see here that sometimes the range and time of how long they would stay in a place would vary really greatly from days to months to years. And... I want, like I, I know for a lot of us, that's really difficult to understand that in our own lives when we feel like God's telling us to stay somewhere and we're like, but there's, there's nothing here. I don't understand why, how is this different from the last place I went to? And, you know, I only stayed there for a little bit and this place you're wanting me to stay for a long time. And it's that understanding and that trust, I guess, that really comes into play in those situations. Even if we don't see a reason why that location or this season requires a different length of time or is different to the previous season or location, you know, how much are we allowing God to dictate our timing rather than wanting to rush forward or stay behind, independent of him and his his guiding and his presence? So if we go back now... That was a diversion to numbers. We're going back now to Psalm 78. I love that the Bible all links together in multiple different ways. It's it's just, for me, it's such proof that, you know, if, if this is written by hundreds of different people over thousands of years, and yet everything is the same and has the same message, it's a pretty good sign that the message isn't coming from their brains. Um, anyway, tangent back to Psalm 78. We'll kick off in verse 20. So they're in the wilderness, they're doubting God, uh, God's done all these things, God's reminding them of, remember this time that I was leading you, remember the time I separated the sea, all these amazing things I've done for you. 
Okay, verse 20. True. He struck the rock and water gushed out. Streams flowed abundantly. But can he also give us bread? Can he supply meat for his people? When the Lord heard them, he was furious. (laughs) And his fire broke out against Jacob and his wrath rose against Israel. For they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. Yet he gave a command to the skies above, and he opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels, and he sent them all the food that they could eat. So even after the Israelites had gotten what they wanted, they then complained and and wanted something else. You know, I want to be free from Egypt. They're oppressing us. Uh, You know, we're slaves. God, why aren't you freeing us? God frees them. God, oh yeah, sure, you've provided water for us in the desert and you're leading us, but you know, where's my meat, you know, and my bread? Um, And so this is referring to, if we want to read the story, it's in Exodus um, 16. So why don't we jump there now so we can have a read of that together. So it says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So two months after they'd come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly of death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. That is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. You know, so Moses and Aaron tell the Israelites this. And, you know, sure enough, uh, manna comes in the morning, which is it was a white substance that they pulled off the ground and they could turn into bread. Um, And in the evening, quail came and covered the camp. And, you know, it said that there there was so much. I love it. There's a verse. Um where Moses was really skeptical about, God, you know how many people there are here? Are you sure that you can um, provide this much food for everyone? Um, I wonder if I can find it. So it's back in um, Numbers 11, it is, and it says, Tell the people, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had the meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. And you will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? For Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? That the Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. And of course we know it did come true. He did provide quail and manna um, in the desert. And the manna lasted all the way up until they entered the promised land. So uh, years and years of manna. I'm sure they were um, very thrilled by that repetitive, <laughs> repetitive food that they received. But, you know, 
the Lord provided for them. They didn't starve. They didn't grow hungry. And um, I think that, you know, again, it's just that digging into God of like, am I recognizing the provision that he's actually providing for me? Like I asked for food, I've asked for bread and he's giving it to me. And I then turning my back saying, actually, I don't want this anymore or this isn't good enough anymore. I want something else. So I, it's so relatable, isn't it, to our lives um, that we get the thing we pray for and then we want something else. And, so, and the story continues saying, you know, so the, the, the bread came and it said, and Moses said to them, this is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone has to gather as much as they need. They take an omer for each person that you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when it was measured by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as they needed. And then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until the morning, which is something that the Lord had instructed him to say. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Every morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. But when the sun grew hot, it melted away. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. And he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are able to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? (laughs) So not only has God just fulfilled the thing that they've prayed for uh they then immediately disobey him and doubt him in terms of when he said there's not going to be any on the seventh day don't gather more than you you need because it's just going to go off anyway they they just completely still had doubt and completely disobeyed him and that's so relatable i feel like we can read this story and be like oh these guys like they just don't get it do they but it's so relatable to our lives like god can tell us something (laughs) And we could pray for something and we receive it straight away and we immediately start doubting again. You know, what about this, God? Did God really say this? Like, it's it's just such a funny um, occurrence that happens, this cycle that we go through of like praying for things, receiving what we pray for, then going straight back to doubting God again and forgetting all of the things that he's you know, made come true and all the prayers and the prophecies that have been fulfilled and we start doubting his word again, even though we have can see with our own eyes in, a, in our hands, we're eating the meat <laughs> that we've prayed for. And yet we're doubting God about what he said. It, it's just a, a really interesting cycle that it takes us a long time, I feel, to learn our lesson sometimes. And I, th- I think that's what I wanted to encapture in this story is that I feel like this psalm is just saying over and over again, it doesn't have to take you this long to learn something. If we really trust God and we're on the lookout and we're reflective in our minds about the things that he's done for us in the past, then we won't need to learn that lesson over and over and over again for it to finally sink in. The Israelites took 40 years to learn to trust God before they were able to go to the promised land, um, which is really interesting. When when you look at the map of where they had to travel to, it should not have taken 40 years. It was The distance was not that long. 
but God deliberately left them in the desert until they had grown enough that they could actually receive the promised land and not be doubtful about it and not be, um, you know, cynical about it. Like he needed them to be in the right headspace to actually receive it and recognize it as the Lord providing for them. Because we can see here, even if they immediately, like they pray for something and they immediately get it, they jump straight back into doubting that that was actually God and what God had said even when it was an immediate um, fulfillment of that prayer. So they were nowhere near ready to receive the promised land because if, if they had received it at that time, they would have doubted 100% that it was actually the promised land and then they would have continually been looking for a different promised land, you know. And God knew that and so he needed to spend this time with them to cultivate their hearts and grow them enough that they could learn to trust his word the first time and not need repeated exposure and repeated lessons to learn the same thing. So verse 32 now, back in Psalm 78. So it says, In spite of all this, they just kept on sinning. In spite of all his wonders, they did not believe. So he ended their days in futility and their years in terror. Whenever God slew them, they would seek him. They would eagerly turn to him again. They remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. But then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. In their hearts, they were not loyal to him and they were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and he did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger. And he did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. So it, it didn't matter what God did. In spite of all that, they just kept on sinning and they kept doubting him. And so when it talks about and God slew them and he ended their days in futility, it, a lot of people from, who were um, brought out of Egypt, they ended up dying in the desert because their hearts were just not ready to receive the promised land, you know, and 40 years passed and a lot of them ended up dying in the desert without ever receiving that, that promise. And I think that's, that's really sad. You know, their lives ended, it says, with, with doubt in their hearts. They, they doubted God's goodness even after all he had done for them in their lives. And as a result, because of that doubt, they never received the things that he wanted to give them in their lives. And like we can see God's anger and frustration through this, you know, he's like, how much more do I need to do for you before you guys get it? And I just love verse 38. It says that he was merciful. He forgave them. He did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger because he remembered that they were but flesh. Oh, I just love how he he understands. It's, it's the parent with the child and the child just keeps on <laughs> making stupid decisions. And the parent has that perspective though, that this is just a child. They don't fully understand. And I'm really angry, but I can't release all that anger on them because they are still just a child. Um, and that's the impression I get from these verses with God, that he restrained his anger because he knew that we were not God, we were just flesh, and we had not yet learnt that lesson and cultivated our hearts enough. So the psalm continues and it talks about how, you know, they started worshipping idols and they started, you know, not keeping his laws anymore. This The really strong Jewish faith that they had, they started 
relaxing it and they started making up their own law and their own religion and making their own idols. And God got really angry for a period of time and he actually left them. It says that he, the, the Ark of the Covenant, which was the, the place where his holy presence was, he actually allowed it to be captured by the enemies of Israel. And there was a period of time where God, God's hand was removed from protecting those people. But it says then in verse 65, Then the Lord awoke as if from sleep, as a warrior wakes from the stupor of wine, and he beat back his enemies, and he put them to everlasting shame. And he rejected the tents of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved, which is his his holy place. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established forever. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with the integrity of heart and skillful hands. He led them. Obviously, David is a foresight, a foreshadowing of Jesus. But I love that God realized these people need a shepherd. They need, you know, they had Moses and they had Aaron and they they were doing an incredible job of leading them. But they needed someone else. They needed someone that could guide them and that they would look to and that they would respect. And David was known as the man after God's own heart. He wanted what God wanted for God's people. And he had, was skilled as well at, at doing that. He was skilled at being a shepherd, at you know, leading people and guiding people. And it's a foreshadowing of Jesus because Jesus does that for us today. Jesus is the one who has God's heart, who wants to lead us and guide us and shepherd us to where he wants us to go, lead us down the right path so that we don't get lost and muddled and get doubt again. And it's just this beautiful story arc of going from this place of, you know, being in a situation that you loathe, being taken out of that situation and starting to miss the old situation and and the journey of growth and that difficulty of being in this place of kind of nothingness and not sure of what's happening and needing to build that trust and depth with God and remove all that doubt in this season of nothingness um, and looking to the provision that God is is doing in our lives and has done in the past and remembering everything he's done for us. And then eventually being open enough to accept someone to shepherd us and guide us because, you know, Aaron and Moses were there and they were attempting to do that with the Israelites, but the Israelites constantly would disobey them and and go off and do their own thing. You know, Moses was like, don't make idols. And then (laughs) like very quickly afterwards, they made idols, you know, so they just, they were not uh, obedient enough in their heart. They weren't humble enough to want to obey someone at telling them what to do. And so we see then this arc, though, eventually they come to this place of acceptance and humility and allow David to be king over them and guide them through through God's guidance, um, which is beautiful. And I think a lot of us are on a, that, that story arc, that journey ourselves with God of, you know, praying to be taken out of a situation. Now we're in this awkward in-between place where we're, we're building on that, that trust and removing that doubt. And looking at his provision in our life and reminding ourselves of all the things he's provided us for so that we can eventually get to the place of humility that we can be fully obedient to him and allow him to guide us 
like the cloud and the fire above the tabernacle? Are we allowing and surrendering ourselves to be led or are we trying to lead ourselves? Um, it's a very clear distinction and it's very uh, important thing that we need to recognize what we're doing in our life because it makes a big impact on how we live out our lives depending on whether we're trying to lead ourselves or whether we're fully allowing God to lead us um, and having that trust and, and dependence on him. So this is, it's a big psalm and I've only touched on a few of the verses in this psalm, but I hope that this helps to give you an overarching picture of um, you know, our journeys with God and how that can look over a period of time and how we can move from one stage of that journey to the next stage. Um, and I hope that it also shows you how much the Bible interlinks and that everything is, is linked together in a way. And, and it's just such clarification that you know the Bible was not just written by um, people and their brains, that it was, you know, one author, one God who was working and writing through multiple people. And that's really the only way that it could be so cohesive and consistent across time. So I hope this podcast was helpful. I hope this has um, encouraged you to do some deep reflection and think about you and your own um, journey with God and where you might be sitting, whether you're in the Egypt phase, the desert phase or the King David phase of your life. And may this encourage you all that no matter what phase you're in, you can always move to the next one. You're never stuck in a phase. It's always an opportunity for growth and movement and for seeing God's provision in your life. He never stops providing for us. So thanks, guys. I hope this was helpful and I look forward to speaking to you in our next episode. Bye.